horror fans. It's the Horrorcraft Podcast with Cassandra and Bubbles. And today we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we are talking about vampires. So you can sink your teeth into this episode. Please slap me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we are talking about those alluring creatures. Of the undead, and sometimes they're the seductive creatures that we think they are, and other times they're the end of humanity. So we are going to get into it and talk about vampires and why we are always interested in them and different uh, genres of them. So let's get into this episode. Cue the music. And we are back. So, Brittany, why are we doing vampires? Well, we did a poll on Instagram and it was 60 to 50 vampires kicking zombies ASS. Um, 60 to 40, you mean? Or 60 to 40. Why did I say 50? <laughs> I can't do math. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that vampires would win out. Um, zombies, I mean, zombies are cool, but I feel like vampires are more human. Like, do we think it's because a zombie is like, you know, they're undead. You can see that they're zombies a lot of times. Vampires, you know, uh, unless it's like, you know, the 30 days a night kind of vampires, Vampires are often depicted as, like, people who are hiding as vampires. So they could be anyone. So maybe that's why it's more, like, people get more scared. Because a vampire could be anybody. Like, the vampire could be your neighbor next door and you don't know about it. Yeah, and I think vampires are more self-aware than zombies. That's probably what makes them scare. I mean, it's subjective. They could be scarier. They could be not scarier. But they have that self-awareness. Yeah, and I think... A lot, too, they're injected a lot into our culture um, with different depictions. You know, obviously, I'm more in the old school vein of um, Bram Stoker, the original Dracula, and, um, you know, those vampires that were seductive and cool, but also were going to fucking kill you. Forking kill you. Forking. uh <laughs> I like they have roles, but they don't, like, every movie doesn't follow them, but they usually have at least one role. Yeah, like, they, I mean, it just depends on, like, what movie you're watching. But yeah, generally, like, you know, zombies, they can be killed in um, certain ways. But, like, vampires, they're always changing the lure and, like, what can happen in them. I feel like... Maybe it's more of the fact that it's kind of tapping into the outsider in us. It's kind of almost like, I feel like the best, um, we're going to talk about this movie here in a little bit, but I feel like the best example of that is the, like the Lost Boys. You know, it taps into your inner outsider. You're that person that's kind of looking in outwardly in on the fringe and you want to belong. And here's this group of people that are giving you the chance to belong, but you kind of have to sell your soul in the process. And I feel like that's a lot, especially with Dracula. Like I love Dracula <laughs> and you know, that's a big thing of women, you know, 
they're alluring, they're sexy, they're trying to, you know, bring you over to their side most of the time. Um, there are exceptions to that, but I feel like they're trying to, you know, it's tapping into that dark part of your soul where you just kind of want to let go. But, um, you know, vampires kind of are outside of morality, outside of, you know, what's good and what's not so good. You know, they're the, they're the evil, but it's the evil with the pretty face, you know. I think that that's like a big alluring part of and you know vampires are rooted in culture like you have Vlad the Impaler you have Strigori you have them featured in ancient culture um so this is obviously an idea that's been around for ages um and you kind of have like going back to that like morality you have like Lestat in Interview with the Vampire kind of telling Louis that it's not really good and bad. It's just like what they need to do to survive. So it's like they think like they're kind of above that. He says he's like godlike or something like that. Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, I, I think a good, um, a good example of uh, besides Louis, which is a great example, by the way. Um, I think a good example of it is like in Dracula 2000, Dracula is, actually like Judas Iscariot and he because he portrayed God he became a vampire you know he he committed the worst sins so he was you know cursed to walk the earth forever um living in that moment and so I think you know you do have those where it's these people who are really trying to you know make the best choice they can and sometimes it doesn't happen so I think that's why vampires are alluring so we start out with the mythology of vampires and like I was saying there are historical representations of vampirism and the biggest one is Vlad the Impaler. Like we all know him from Bram Stoker's Dracula and Bram Stoker who was a German author. Um, he got his inspiration from Vlad the Impaler. Um, and Vlad the Impaler the actual historical figure is gnarly. Oh, yeah. What do you think of when you think of Vlad the Impaler? A lot of death, and it's just very gruesome. Yeah, I think... So, Vlad the Impaler, obviously, is a Romanian um, prince. And he was the Prince of Wachalia. If I said that wrong, any of our Romanian friends, please correct me. I am not Romanian. Um, and <laughs> try my best with the uh, pronunciation. But he, like in Romania, he's considered a very prolific person because he did a lot for the Romanian culture. You know, he, um, he really fought up against the Ottoman Empire. And a lot of people remember him for his brutality. Um, some of which I think he had, he had to be brutal. I heard, I don't know if this was him. Um, he was like trying to like wipe out poverty. Is that the same guy or? I think so. I mean, I, I would definitely fact check that. And, but yeah, I, I do think that he was trying to end. Um, I know the Ottoman empire when they took over Romania, they were, very like they taxed them a lot mm -hmm. and they required like a ton of their sons and um able-bodied men 
to be part of the Ottoman Empire army. And I know that both Vlad Tempish and his brother Radu were um, taken hostage by the Ottoman Empire in, um, oh my gosh, uh, in 1442. Um, and they were, they did that because they were trying to secure, um, the father's loyalty, but then the father and the older brother died and they were still kept hostage. And then Vlad was let, let go, um, to kind of be put in place. And he was, that kind of character that just would not be put in his place. So, um, you know, a lot of people remember him for putting people on stakes. Yeah. Like he's impaling them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They remember him for being an impaler. Like he impaled people and, um, but you know, he, I think he did that. Brutality sometimes has to match brutality. I'm not saying, I don't know, obviously know Vlad Tempish's whole story, um, but it sounds like his brutality was to match their brutality. And, um, you know, there is the saying, an eye for eye makes the whole world blind. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, with his brutality, obviously you get, um, you make a name for yourself. And that's where I think people thought that he was a vampire because he was sucking the life out of people when really he was doing it to protect his people. Um, but it's kind of like that law. Lo- I feel like he has like a loss of humanity and that's probably why they associate yeah. it with it. Maybe. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously Bram Stoker picked up on that and he created, you know, his Dracula. Um, and he made his story around, you know, the Vlad, the Impaler, but he also made him with a mission. And that was, um, his love who had died and, um, Vlad, the Impaler, um, there wasn't like a specific love, but, you know, I think Bram Stoker thought that that would be a motivation to do the things that you do. So, but there is earlier depictions, um, going forward from that, like in ancient Greece and Romanian mythology is a huge thing. I think that's why you do get the Vlad the Impaler um, mythology is because in Romanian mythology, there are the Strigori, which we've talked about before with a uh, blood vessel, but um, Strigori are like a gypsy. Okay. So um, as I was saying, there are Strigori, which is a Romanian mythology, um, that the gypsy in that area, um, basically believed in. And the Strigori are basically troubled spirits that are said to have risen from the grave. And they had the ability to transform into an animal, become invisible, and to gain vitality from the blood of their victims. Ergo vampires so you have like the kind of the basic rules yeah the basic rules of vampirism i mean strigori and vampires are said to be different they're kind of um they're kind of two sides of the same coin i guess we would say but um but yeah you know you get that's kind of what Bram Stoker picked up on. So, you know, Bram Stoker picked up on Vlad Tempish and the mythology, and he came out with 
Dracula, which obviously created a stir and basically gave us the basis of what now is a huge genre in the, you know, in horror. Um, and you get the classics. Um, Nosferatu was the first. Um, I know that you had said that, um, and I knew this too, but Bram Stoker's wife actually sued the people who created Nosferatu and didn't want it to come out because it, it was so similar to Count Dracula, but obviously Nosferatu, it's Count Orlock. Yeah, and it was supposed to be destroyed and never see the light of day, so we almost didn't have that. But then, you know, Universal, the Universal Monsterverse kind of came in in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and we got Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Um, have you ever seen the original? Yeah. I, so I have not watched the original in a long time, and I recently rewatched it. And for a movie that was done in the 30s, it really holds up. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, There's a reason why Dracula is still, you know, around a day. Yeah. It really, like, put it out there. Yeah, it, it did. And, you you know, Bela Lugosi is huge. You know, he's, Bela Lugosi's Hungarian. And um, whenever you think of Dracula, you think of that depiction. Absolutely. Just, just because of, like... Bela Lugosi had, like, his facial features and everything, like, he just did such a a good job with, like, the space he had. So that led to so many more. You know, you got, I have not seen all of the Hammer Studios Dracula films. There are 14 of them. Um, But a lot of them had Christopher Lee in it, and you had him portraying Dracula, and that was kind of like a wagon that just kept circling on and on and on for years. Um, Christopher Lee, obviously, is a huge, like, just like Bela Lugosi, um, he's known for being Dracula because he played it so many times in those films. I, I mean, I feel like we probably could end up doing a whole episode just on the Hammer films because, like I said, there are 14 movies specifically about Dracula. Dracula whether Dracula being in it or Dracula's wives or Dracula, you know, some form, shape or form of Dracula. So you get that kind of, you know, it just kept on going, but you know, we wouldn't be anywhere without Bela Lugosi's Dracula. And that was kind of the original for a while until, you know, you started hitting like, you know, obviously after Christopher Lee, you got into like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s until now. And we have so many iterations of Dracula. Um, I could not find a number, but I do know from watching like blood sucking cinema, there are like a hundred and some Dracula movies. That's wild. Yeah. Like, again, we could do, we probably will end up, this is just a basis of like us tackling vampirism. But there will be more episodes in the future, especially probably a Dracula one, because there are so many Dracula movies and there's just not enough episode time to, you know, talk about Dracula in particular. Dracula, were you a big Dracula fan? 
Dracula, Dracula is pretty solid, honestly. Yeah, I I mean, I know you said you're you're kind of more of a witch person. I mean, yeah. you like Dracula. I was absolutely obsessed with vampires. I don't know what it was, but I just, I love vampires. Dracula was another big one. And there were so many Dracula movies growing up. Um, we had so many good representations, but obviously, like, my first introduction to Dracula was the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's a solid, you know, Francis Ford Coppola before this movie was like a very like artsy, like dramatic, you know, he, he had a certain style and then he got into Dracula and he kind of just threw all of that out of the window and got to use all the things that he hadn't used before. He got to have a lot of fun with it, I feel like. A lot of fun. And, you know, Dracula, that version of Dracula is almost like three hours long. Right. It's a pretty long movie, but I like how it shows his fall from grace right from the get-go. And you see why he has these intentions. Yeah. And, you know... Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman as Mina and Dracula. I did not know there was that big of an age gap. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't. But they're so, they're paired so well together that I just, you kind of get entranced in their story. I feel like this version of Dracula is why we got like gothic vampirism. You know, they picked up on that kind of um otherworldly kind of vibe um and i like how they had him like as his like scary look kind of with the with the i'm sorry the hair it's the hair for me but they still had him as his like handsome seductive self as well yeah they had yeah yeah they they kind of showed him in transitions they showed him when Jonathan goes and, like, you know, is kind of there to help him secure this estate, then they go through him coming to London and seeing Mina, and he has his regular, you know, self. Then you get to see the creature side, and then you get to see both of them at different likes. Um, I think, I think it's just a ride. Um, but it's totally different from one of my favorite movies, which is Dracula 2000. I think I talk about this movie all the freaking time. But Wes Craven doing a Dracula movie was something I never thought of. And him doing Dracula, but Dracula subverting, like, the story is completely wild. And he had Gerard Butler in it before Gerard Butler was the Phantom and went on did 300. And man, was that man sexy. Wes Craven just reinvents things and it works so well with him. He was way ahead of his time. Yeah, he kind of, he took what Bram Stoker picked up on with Black Tempest and he took it to a different level. He thought, okay, well, what if this was something deeper? And he took it to uh, Judas Iscariot. And it makes sense. You know, what would happen if you were the ultimate betrayer? What punishment would you get? And what's worse than being cursed to live forever? Exactly. Um, Dracula Untold, you know, is a newer one that came out. They were trying to do the whole monster universe. Um, I think that that's probably the better one that they did versus The Mummy. 
Um, Dracula Untold is obviously with Luke Evans and it talks about, you know, the whole Vlad Tempest story. I think it did a really good job at kind of getting to the bottom of it. And then you get Van Helsing and where Dracula is not necessarily the main character Van Helsing is, but Dracula is a big part of it. It was definitely an interesting film. It was fun. Yeah, I think Van Helsing did for vampire movies what the mummy did for, you know, the mummy was kind of an action horror. Yeah, it was a lot more action, I feel yeah. like, than horror. And Leon Helsing is the same way. So, you know, you get these really good, solid retellings of Dracula. And I think that's what just kind of pushed us further. Um, and obviously, like I said, with Francis Ford Coppola, you know, you with that coming about, you got more gothic vampires of when you think of gothic vampires i mean eaten rice yeah for sure interview with the vampire was such a great film honestly i heard it's people say it's not really good with the book but i think it's still solid i mean obviously you're gonna get disparities in between the book and in Anne rice i mean she's a juggernaut she has so many books you know, interview in the with the vampire and queen of the dam were just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's why I don't know if you've heard this, but she they're doing a series. Um, I haven't heard that actually. Yeah, they're doing a series that I think it's either coming to like EMC Plus or I heard whispers that HBO is probably picking it up, but it's all about her like vampire verse. Um, but interview with the vampire. I like um, Interview with the Vampire because Louie is like, it's kind of like Near Dark with Caleb. They're both wrestling with their humanity. They still have that. That's what they take with them. And the other vampires, at least in Interview with the Vampire, they, they kind of crave that. Because you see how these other vampires try to like attach themselves to Louie. Yeah, I, I feel like Louie... Mm. You have Lestat in that movie where Lestat has just come to terms with he is who he is. And you almost get a sense by the end of Interview with a Vampire that he's bored. And you pick that up with the next movie. Um, Louis, however, is this person that really, I think, wrestled with the fact that, you know, he didn't know if he wanted to be a vampire. And the whole time he's kind of wrestling with that choice and you see that even as he um charlotte mm-hmm. is it is wait no claudia claudia and lestat uses that because um louis still has a lot of his humanity and he uses claudia as a way to to tie him to him so he doesn't leave yeah and so you see louis kind of sticking around for claudia and i feel bad for saying charlotte i you know why i'm thinking charlotte is because Charlotte was in Blade the series and she kind of was like the Claudia. It's okay. Um, But yeah, you do. And you know, you see these, like you said, people being attracted to Louis. So you see like Armand Mm -hmm. come in and he, you know, with the vampire theater and you get a lot of like those people like almost being upset that Armand is attaching himself to Louis um, like the other people in the theater. And it's weird because Armand tries to like kind of take away what makes him attracted to Louis too because he because Claudia turns to dust. Yeah. And it's just a big 
I don't know. Queen of the Damned. I love Interview with the Vampire, but I think what makes Queen of the Damned one of my favorites to me is obviously it's Aaliyah's last film, which is super sad. I loved Aaliyah growing up. She was so stunning as a vampire. Yeah. Oh my God. And she's, su- if you watch stuff, she super committed herself to that role. Oh yeah. Um, And I will personally say that like her and Lestat together, I, I wouldn't mind joining in on that. You know, just, <laughs> I feel like that's a weird thing to say, but um, I mean, they, they were just, they were alluring. They're both. And like I said, you get the sense that Lestat is bored with his life. So here, you know, the whole interview with the vampire, they're trying to toe the line about not letting humans really know about their existence. Well, in Queen of the Damned, He's like, hey, I'm a vampire and I'm going to be a musician. Come and get me. And what happens? You know, you get Aaliyah's character swooping in and is like, hey, I'm going to give you all of this. Come be with me. And then he really has to, like, make that choice. And in the end, he realizes that that's not what he wants. So I think that's a huge thing. But, you know, you get those two really gothic movies and then you get years later underworld kind of picks up on that same thread that they're leaving behind i mean underworld was huge when it first came out underworld is kind of one of those movies like what we were talking about with van helsing where they um it's kind of it's an action horror but it's like an r-rated action horror for sure about underworld underworld is one of my favorites i love underworld so much i think it's because it takes so much from the genre you get vampires you get werewolves you get everything in between and you get all these different elements you get the the gothic elements that you love from interview with a vampire where everything is very slick and romantic and it's just it's a whole ride it's like a two rides essentially like you you fall into this war between vampires and lichen and you're just getting used to like the storyline with Celine and stuff and then you get confused with Celine when you start to find out that like everything that she knows is a lie and now she's got to like figure all this out for herself plus you know she is technically like what they would call a baby vamp because she's not as old as like Victor Craven. And she's like getting these feelings for this guy that she knows she shouldn't be involved with. And then she finds out that like this guy, the, you know, Lucian character, he is not maybe the bad guy she thought he was. And it just, it's a whole ride. And then you see that play out throughout the whole entire series. So I think it's like a rated R, like, horror action series how many movies were there because that was like a whole thing for a while six there are six wow because it's underworld underworld evolution underworld rise of the lichens because they did the first two and then they went back and they did lucian's story and you got to see all that then they came out with underworld awakening where basically the world was on fire and vampires were you know getting ousted and then you got Vampire's Blood Wars. And I liked all of them, but then they threw Theo James in the last two movies. And 
I loved him in Divergent and him as a vampire. I mean, just chef's kiss. So you don't really hear about Underworld that much. Maybe it's because I'm more like in the horror realm and it's like intersecting between horror and uh, I action. Think, I think it's kind of the same effect that you get with other movies where like the first mummy is like action horror. Mm-hmm. The second one is more action and tinge horror. That's what kind of happens with Underworld too. You get this like um, thing with Underworld where the first one is like more of a true action horror blend. The second one is more of an action. Third one is more action slash drama slash romance. And then the fourth and fifth one is just pure slick action kind of in your face. You still get the horror elements. You still have those there. But... Um, I think you kind of move away with that. I think you get that in a lot of hybrid genres, though. Like, um, one of my favorite in the hybrid genre is Blade. Hell yeah. Blade, a lot of people, like, discredit Blade, but, like, there would be no Marvel without Blade. Like, people forget that Blade was Marvel's only hit, like, in the 90s. I didn't even know it was Marvel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you kind of don't because Blade was kind of that, like, dark horse. And the first Blade movie is very much horror-leaning. You know, you have those elements. Like, I mean, for me, for instance, I always remember, I'm trying to think of the the character's name, but when he kills the the big... The larger man. The larger man. Um, I always remember that, but you, you know, you get a lot of like, it's just a ride. You hear his like little screams. Yeah. And it's like it sticks with you. But Blade, I mean like that movie was just kind of like a gut punch. Think about the first opening sequence when they're in the club and that guy realizes that, you know, like he's in a club full of vampires and it everything just goes haywire and then Blade comes in like... That was like a gut punch. Like that's when you started seeing movies like really like start to take heed from that because that was just like right in your face. Such a good film. It is such a good film. Um, I'm really scared for them to do a new one because I just don't know if it's going to match up to it. I'm going to go in with open eyes, but Blade, I... uh... That's our whole philosophy. We give everything a fair chance. Yeah, I'm going to give it a fair chance, but I just feel like how can you touch that yeah it's it's just such perfection and that's like one of that's Wesley Snipes is like best film I have to say that like he is Blade he will always be Blade to me just like we talked about with Wes Craven um John Carpenter got his slice of vampirism in John Carpenter's vampires and that is um I like that one. It's very, it's a different vampire movie. Very different, right? Right. Um, It is more of kind of like a Western, like. Yeah, like near near dark kind of. Yeah, it kind of has that near dark. It's so gritty though. It comparatively to other ones, like it's just, it's kind of this just very splashy, like Western drama and, um. I'm not a huge James Wood fan, but I do like him in that movie. I think that's probably one of his best movies. Don't come for me, everyone. Um, But I really like it. And I feel like you get John Carpenter's vampires 
and then you get From Dust Till Dawn. And they feel similar in a way. And they do. But From Dust Till Dawn is kind of this movie where Robert Rodriguez, obviously that was one of like his big debuts, and Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney are in it. For the first half of the movie, it's like a robbery, a robbery gone wrong. And they're, you know, the brother's kind of crazy and they're off. They're doing their own thing. And then they get to the titty twister. And it's just like, you think it's one thing and it's another. And it's like, what? Yeah. What just happened? Yeah. I remember um, Cheech Marin saying (laughs) that he read the script and he was like, it went from being just this regular to all of a sudden vampires. And Cheech uh, had like a few different roles in yes. the movie. He had, yeah, like, the 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 P. I can't say it. It's inappropriate. He's just like going on about the P word. Yeah, he keeps. He's like the seller. Yeah. And for him, he said he's bet you know been to places in Mexico where they you know they have that. So he he felt com. And then he's the character at the end that mm-hmm. you know George Clooney's character has been waiting for the whole entire time. And then he's also the border agent. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, same way, like, Robert Rodriguez obviously is, like, a habitual, like, he puts certain people in his movie all the time, like, and I'm appreciative of that. Like, you know, you get um, Danny Trejo in that movie, you get Cheech Marin, you get Selma Hayek, you get all these people that really, like, you're like, how the hell did they end up in this movie? But a lot of people don't realize this, but... From Dust Till Dawn is kind of based off of the vampire exploitation films uh, from Mexico um, during like the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And that was purely based on the fact that a lot of people don't realize this, but when Bella Lugosi was doing Dracula and they were doing like the Hammer Studios Dracula movies, they would do those movies during the day and then at night they'd switch over and they would do the Spanish Dracula and the Spanish, you know, exploitation films. So um, that was very much leaning in on that. Um, and so, you know, those are big, like, hybrid genre. Um, but then we get... What we do in the shadows. Yes. And that movie is just... A, it's so funny. It's like a mockumentary and it just follows these, I think there's four vampires. And I have just, not seen it. They're just getting into all this stuff. It's so funny. I really like the character Deacon. He's hilarious. He has like a little dance scene. It's, it's so good. I need to see it because I haven't seen it. And I feel like that's a terrible thing for me to say. Um, but then we get one of your favorites, which is Let the Right One In. Yeah, that one is a slow burner, but it pays off. And it kind of like... It's not really about vampires, but it is. Well, a vampire. There's another one in it, but it's very much about, like, trauma and tragedy in in childhood. And these two characters bond, even though, like, one of them, you know, is a vampire. And it kind of follows, like, the rules, but it's still really subtle. It doesn't, like, make a, you know, all about vampires. And it kind of shows, like the tragedy of a child turning into a vampire because they're stuck in that forever. Yeah, do you so do you prefer the original or the American version? The original. Yeah, I think the American version is good, but the original is the best. With 
like I said, let let the right one in. You have like these children just kind of frozen in their age. And you see that with Claudia in interview with the vampire, she's stuck in that age and she struggles with that so much to the point where she just kind of loses it. But then you have another child that's kind of like frozen in that with near dark. And what was his name? Homer. Yes. And it's funny because he's the oldest character out of the little group. And he's the physically the youngest. Yeah, he's so... Near Dark is such an underrated vampire film. I feel like Near Dark should get the attention that um, Lost Boys get. Because Near Dark and Lost Boys, you brought that up to me, but I did not realize that they were released in the same year. And Near Dark and Lost Boys are both, like, very prolific. They have some of the same imprints, but they're different in their own right. And I feel like they're both equally um, impactful. Do you know why? Why? Near Dark kind of gets overshadowed because they didn't get the promotion it deserved because the distributor went out of business. So it was very overlooked. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. See, I get that because... Near Dark, like right now, um, it was on Shudder, um, I think in August, and they took it off. But like, even at our local exchange, a copy of the DVD is $40. Yikes. And the Blu-ray is worth 300 What the heck? Because it's out of print. Um, and there's been rumors that it's going to be, that they're going to come out with a print version of it. But I hope so, because Near Dark, it is such, first of all, I love Bill Paxton. Like, rest in peace, Bill Paxton. You're amazing. But Near Dark is one of Bill Paxton's, like, perfect oh, yeah. portrayals. Like, Bill Paxton with his character in that movie, all I remember is it's finger-licking good. And him, and him going off in the... Um, the saloon and him just like they're just going ham those spurs man right yeah. through the throat baby yeah the spurs <laughs> right through the throat i mean his character was flawless um so it's just it, it's such a good movie um and go ahead it's like it's an it's a hybrid it's a neo-western <laughs> and what was her name what's the bigelow Catherine bigelow she was trying to create a western right and but vamp westerns were dropping like they weren't as popular as they were but vampire movies they were popping so she took that and then took that and created this but that wasn't the first vampire western movie curse of the undead came out in 1955 but Bigel, i like Bigelow's better yeah she a lot of people don't realize this but she was james cameron's wife mm-hmm. um and so that's why you see a lot of the, the reason the chemistry is so solid between Bill Paxton, Lance Hendrickson, and I'm trying to think of the other girl's name. I think it's Catherine Mendoza. Um, they had all just come off of doing Aliens together. And so that chemistry was solid to begin with. And then you got... Correction to make, I said Catherine Mendoza, but it's Jeanette Goldstein as Diamondback, and I'm a horrible person because I love Jeanette Goldstein. She looks a lot different in that movie, I feel like. So, well, she does, her face, 
her, I mean, I could tell her. I love her both of them. Her character in Aliens is popping. Aliens is a, a treasure. So, uh, but Near Dark. Near Dark breaks pretty much all the vampire rules besides the sunlight and like, I guess, fire. And it's kind of like that tale as old as time, boy meets girl. And there's like this big divide because he wants to still be human and he wants to be with his family. But they're trying to like take out his family or change his sister and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because the, the little boy Homer. wants Homer wants his sister Sarah, as, her, I think. as her his bride. Right. And it's like road trip vampire style. It's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, I I think you kind of pick up on that too. Um, the same thoughts with Lost Boys. Lost Boys to me has always been one of those um, just timeless films because you get these two brothers who get thrusted into this new town who are trying to make their own way, and you get. F- quickly briefly from the sense um that their mom you know was in the midst of the divorce with their dad and so they're trying to make their own way and michael gets sucked in by a star and he gets sucked into this realm that he knows nothing about and he thinks you know i'm gonna try and be the cool kid you know to impress star and then bam ends up becoming a vampire and now his brother with the help of the frog brothers have to save him. But it is that tale, you know, of he, you, you get the sense he really falls for star and he loves her, but then he realizes what she kind of got him into. And then there's the disdain for a while, but then ultimately he decides, you know, she's, she's just as stuck as I am and saves her. And then the big twist at the ending, finding out who the, the main vampire was, I mean, watching it back now, you can kind of pick up on the clues and the hints of it, but still, like, it's still such a solid movie, and Joel Schumacher, I, he's dead now, and it's so sad, because he, that film is such a masterpiece, I just could not say enough about it. So back with the brothers, you got one who's going, like, with the vampire slayers and then going with the vampires. So that creates a very mm-hmm. interesting dynamic. And the thing, the really cool thing about, um, near, uh, not near dark. The cool thing about lost boys, well, in near dark too, they had their own style. So like with lost boys, you know, you get David and then Marco and, um, all the other vampires, they each had, they had a cohesive style but still at the same time had a different style. Yeah. Like they each had their own style. And when you see the the glitter come out in the blood, that was meant to be intentional. Like they actually put glitter in the fake blood. When, so when the vampire burst in the middle, that's when they get all the glitter. That's a whole mood. <laughs> that is a, the, uh, yeah, that's a serious whole mood. I mean, I don't think you could get any better than that. Just so. like the disco ball, kill it, like killing the vampires in yeah. from dusk till dawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mood. Um, You know, another big one that picks up on like the outsider and being kind of weird and on your own is Fright Night. Fright Night, you know, we get Charlie Brewster, who's just trying to, like, you know, fit in and, you know, 
be with his girlfriend and then a vampire moves next door and he's kind of like wrestling. Am I crazy? Am I not? And then you find out he is not crazy. And he's like isolating himself and no one believes him. Yeah. And then when they do believe him, it's too late. And, you know, you get that part in there where um, Eddie. um, Evil Ed. Evil Ed. um, He, you know, the character, he chooses to be a vampire when um, Jerry, you know, is like, "I, I will help you become something else. And it's like this whole movie. Amazing though. Um, I love it. And Chris Sarandon, like, he was pretty hot in that movie. The effects. I love the effects. How the vampires look. Yeah. Especially when Amy turns into a vampire. Mm-hmm. They, they look so different. Yeah. They and, have their own style. But I, you know, that part with like the seduction and the dance, that was like a whole mood too. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, him like Amy's kind of almost loss of innocence that was like a whole thing too so I think you know that is just something that holds up so well like the new one is all right that had Anton Yelchin in it it's okay but it's not the original is he the one that passed away yes he was was he odd Thomas or is that a different person okay yeah he was odd Thomas but he also was in the Fright Night remake he was um he was Charlie Brewster and Tony Collette played his mom and um, Colin Farrell played or Colin Farrell played um, Jerry. Okay. I know who he is now. He played in burying the X. Yep. That movie's hilarious. But, um, but yeah, so in, in like conjunction with that, you know, we get some other movies that are in the same vein. So like Buffy, um, I'm not going to talk too much into it because Buffy, you know, you get Buffy and then you get Buffy the Vampire Slayer and those are two different things. Buffy was more campier. With like Chris- the yeah, the show, I I hate to say it, the bu- the movie's okay, but the show is so much better. Um, we grew up in the 90s. Yes. Sorry. Once Bitten, I know that's your favorite. <laughs> yeah, that movie is really just like, it focuses more on a male victim and that yeah jim carrey is hot in that movie i would sit on his face and let him guess my weight i'm so sorry mom (laughs) if you're listening to this (laughs) that is like the best line ever i mean i don't blame you he i mean he was pretty he was something in that movie i like how though it focuses on that and then his girlfriend's just trying to like fight with get it back get him back yes and you know in conjunction to like switching roles, a vampire in Brooklyn, um, that was completely different. That's with Eddie Murphy and Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett, who is amazing. And the thing that was really different about it, I mean, it changed everything with like vampire culture and stuff, but she becomes a vampire halfway through the movie. And it's about like her going through all of that. And trying to figure out. And then, you know, you get the part of, like, her dad sent Eddie Murphy's character. And she has to wrestle with all of that. And, I mean, it's just got some great lines in it, too. And I I just can't say enough about it. It's great. And anything with Angela Bassett automatically has me sold. Angela Bassett is a queen. Like, 
I just can't say enough about her. Like, I would bow at the altar of Angela Bassett. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of these are about sexy vampires and, you know, vampires being like the normal, like self, like there's a normal person, but then there's this other side. But then we get into this subgenre where we get vampires that kind of take over the world or vampires that aren't trying to seduce you. They're just trying to rip you apart. They're looking at you as purely food based. And I think a lot of that stems with a couple different movies. We're talking about like changing the lore and survivalism in vampire movies. And one movie that I had left off this list, but you brought up, and I'm so mad at myself that I forgot about this, was Stakeland. There's and so many vampire movies. Don't beat yourself <laughs> up. Stakeland, though, it's currently on Peacock, the first one. And Stakeland is such a good movie because it takes everything that we know about vampires. And it's like, what if vampires take over the world? And it's almost like a zombie apocalypse, mm -hmm. but it's a vampire apocalypse. What would you do? And this kid, you know, his whole family gets mutilated and he kind of has to take up with this man that he just calls Mr. And he kind of pseudo adopts him. And teaches him how to be a man, essentially. And they go through all these heartbreaking things. And it's just gut-wrenching. Um, and then the second one is just the same. And by the time you watch both of them, you're like, why the hell did I put myself through this? Because it's just like, this eternal sense of dread. But um, I think they're solid movies. Yeah, and another, you know, you talk about another vampire apocalypse movie, Daybreakers, because humans are the minority. Yeah, Daybreakers. Oh, my gosh. That movie, I feel like, is a philosophical just goldmine. I love um, William Defoe's character. And when he says, what are we going to do when the last drop of blood runs out? And has like a whole thing. And it's just, I feel like Ethan Hawke gets slept on sometimes in the horror community. But he's done so much with roles. And Daybreakers is no different. Like Daybreakers is a world that humans are the minority. Vampirism has taken over. And being a vampire is part of being a business. And he is a, you know, a scientist trying to find the cure. And then he kind of finds out that... Finding the cure wasn't really the, like, um, point that, you know, there are still going to be people who play for real blood. So he kind of teams up with them and then they do find a cure that turns him back. And it's just, it's this whole moral quandary. I mean, you even see it with Sam Neill. Sam Neill, I love him. Adopt me, Sam Neill. <laughs> you and Lance Hendrickson, one of you, adopt me. Um... I, but yeah, Sam Neill, you even seen it in his character because his daughter doesn't want to be a vampire, runs away from him, and then he forces her to be a vampire, and then she turns into something completely different, and he ends up having to kill her. And it's like, what the hell? I think for me, though, like, you, you see these a lot. Like, say, for instance, with Priest and... 
Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter where vampires are trying to take over the world and, you know, you get that. But I think the best example of this is 30 Days a Night. I remember the first time seeing 30 Days a Night and being like, whoa, what just happened? Like, it's terrifying. Yeah, I recently rewatched it and I usually don't get like scared, but I had a sense of dread the entire time because I'm like, what are they going to do? They're isolated. All these mother effers are trying to get them. Yeah, I mean, they do so well with like the backdrop of, first of all, being isolated in Alaska. Right. Being, and then these vampires have gone through and meticulously cut them off. And now on top of it, they're being picked off one by one. And it's like the worst possible solution because not only do you have to deal with the climate, but then you have to deal with this on top of it and staying alive. And, you know, you don't have sunlight for 30 days. So they can run havoc on the whole entire town for 30 days. Remember the first time watching a movie theater and being like, whoa, like... I remember I was with a group of friends and one friend in particular was super sensitive and 15 minutes in she was like, nope, nope, I can't do this. But we, she just had to put up with it. And I mean, she did it, but it's such a solid movie and it's so different because these aren't the vampires that can assimilate. These are like shark teeth going for your guts vampires yeah they're not seducing you they're going after you and they have you in a corner because they can just roam free because there's like i want to quickly add a disclaimer to this episode if you heard any feedback in the audio i have neighbors down below and cannot control what they are doing so we try to do our best to get clear quality sound sometimes that doesn't happen though Life happens. Like Jurassic Park? Yeah. <laughs> if there's a will, there's a way. Um, but vampires. Vampires. So what are your favorite vampire movies? The Lost Boys. Iconic. Feels very 80s. I mean, it was made in the 80s, but even, you know, still today. Let the Right One In. What's another one? I really have, like, a new favorite. I watched Near Dark for the first time in a long time, and I'm like, wow, I really like this. And Fright Night. I could go on. There's a lot. Bordello of Blood we didn't talk about. Yes, Bordello of Blood. is. We are, disclaimer, we are going to deep dive more into different vampire movies as we go on. But this is just an introduction. So further we get along, we're going to do certain episodes like about Dracula, certain ones about, you know, horror, comedy, vampire movies, I think will be a whole vibe but what are your favorites um near dark was my favorite um so i'm glad you really liked it oh shush it baby um hell's bells are tolling yes hell's bells are coming to get us my cat is possessed at least one episode he every episode he has to be somewhat possessed but um Near Dark is one of my favorites. I absolutely love Near Dark. Um, Dracula 2000, I'm a huge fan for, obviously, because I love Gerard Butler. Like, I need to rewatch it. Like, Gerard Butler is just everything in that movie. Um, I feel like I have a problem with vampires. I recently saw this shirt on Tee Public that says, Don't date a Vlad, get a, uh, don't date a Chad, get a Vlad. And I'm like, I need that shirt in my life because that's my, my whole life story. Like, I feel like that's why I had. Uh, high expectations of men because nothing could compare to certain 
characters. But I mean, like, I really like 30 Days a Night. 30 Days a Night, I remember watching it and just being blown away. Um, From Dust Till Dawn is another one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's just a whole vibe. The Underworld series, um, I just like that you could be Celine in those movies. But, um, oh, I mean, I like a lot of them. Fright Night is another one of my favorites. A lot of people don't realize Fright Night, you know, Chris Sarandon is the voice of Jack Skellington. And he also is in Child's Play as the detective. And, Sorry. And Bordello of Blood he's in, too. Another vampire yeah. movie. So I just stand. And I love Bordello of Blood. You know, Tales from the Crypt, anything is my jam. Um, but Blade. Blade really sticks to me a lot. Um, I feel like the first Blade is just, like, one of those perfect, like, catch fire movies. I just can't get enough. I just hit the microphone. I'm sorry. Apparently, I'm being abusive today to our microphones. Sorry. Marina, the microphone. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I like a lot of vampire movies, so it's hard to make a bad one for me. I mean, there are a lot of bad ones out there. Um, but I, Lost Boys, too. Like, Lost Boys was huge in my childhood. Like I remember having like printing out a picture and putting it on my notebook. And I actually had, this is such a random geek fact, but um, this is gonna make me sound like such a nerd, but I had a book, an encyclopedia of vampires. Nerd alert. <laughs> so I, I carried that around at school and I think people thought I was crazy. I think you're great. Thanks friend. I'm, I'm pretty great now. Um, but yeah, vampires, I mean, it's just, there's something about them. Oh, also want to add one's bit in. I know it's more of a comedy, but I watched that so much growing up and I love it. I need to watch what we do in the shadows now. Yes. And there also is a show. We're not going to talk about shows today. That's another episode. So yeah. look out for that. Yeah. There are a lot of good vampire shows, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we got one more thing to add. But okay. Go, go ahead. So what vampire movie do you think is underrated? Um, my vampire movie that is underrated is Near Dark. For sure. Near Dark doesn't get as much. It's getting better. But Near Dark and Dracula 2000. Near Dark and Dracula 2000. Near Dark because obviously with it not having like... There are so many people interested in it, and I know, like, when Shudder came out with, like, the ability to watch it for as long as they did, that it was really popular. But I feel like they need to have, like, a physical print again, um, and it needs to be more accessible, because I feel like that's a underrated. And Dracula 2000, look, I get it. It's got some of its flaws. Like, it's got a lot of um, nudity and gratuitous nudity, nudity in it. Wait, um, that's a flaw. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, like, I know there are some plot holes in it, but I mean, the fact that Wes Craven thought well enough into doing a movie that just totally subverts the Dracula that we know and taking it all the way back to, you know, the origins of life, like Christianity, taking it back to Judas Iscariot. And also this, like, subplot about the fact that, like, her father 
took Dracula's blood to survive because her father's been Helsing. And then she has that blood in her. So Dracula wants her because he feels like that's his perfect mate. Um, I was just always allured. And in the end of the movie, when she like turns on him, I was like, what? No! <laughs> like, you, like that meme of Star Wars, you were the chosen one! <laughs> like, I was like, no, don't do that! Um, even in, um, when Gerard Butler was in Phantom of the Opera, and he took off his mask, I was like, look, the face is not that bad. Are you really gonna pick Raul, who is a, a fuckboy, over um, the Phantom, who is basically, like, dedicated his life to you? Okay. Do better, guys. Choices. And anyone who wants to fight me on that, go watch Love Never Dies because you find out just how bad he is in the second one. So come at me, brah. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but what is your underrated favorite? Let the right one in. And I feel like with kind of like with Near Dark where it didn't get the promotion, I feel like Let the Right One In got overshadowed. By Twilight, because I'm pretty sure they came out the first, the, 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 not the first, the same year. Yeah, twi- I mean, tw- Twilight, I loved the Twilight books before they were movies. The movies, I get it. I'm not going to come for anyone's fandom. I know people are fans of Twilight movies. They're okay, but they're not the books. And for me, like knowing that she would have picked Henry Cavill and Emily Browning as the two main characters... I wish I would have seen that because I feel like that would have had a whole different tone into it. I'm not just saying that because I'm a big Henry Cavill fan, although I am Henry Cavill <laughs> for life. Hashtag. I mean, Twilight, I don't think it's as bad as people think, but it did overshadow Let the Right One In, which is very sad because it's such a well done film. The freaking pool scene. Amazing. I love it. It was very, I guess they shot it very calculated and you, it paid off. Yeah, I... I think Twilight did kind of overshadow a lot of vampire movies that came out at the time. Um, And it had a huge fandom. I get it. I'm not coming for anyone's childhood, but um, there are better ones out there. I'm just saying. Not trying to fight anyone. That really fed into like Taming the Beast kind Mm. of movies that came out. Like what was the other one? Beautiful Creatures. uh, Yeah. Warm Bodies. That was really like a thing. But it's kind of died out now. Yeah. They want to tame the beastly man. I mean, there are ways to do that, but not those ways. Um, Sorry. But yeah, so vampires. Vampires. I I obviously wore a shirt for the occasion. I have a Dracula shirt on. Plus, I have some super cool earrings that Bubbles got me that are coffins. So, vampire life, hashtag. Um, So, what are your final thoughts? I think vampires, they really just, they're not going to die. Sorry. If you stake them in the heart multiple times, sunlight, sorry, they're here to stay. And that's very apparent with the Lady Dimitrescu craze that's been going on from Resident Evil. If you don't know who that is, she is the nine foot tall vampire lady from Resident Evil Village. And she's not actually a vampire, but she does represent vampires in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Um, We will be back next week for some more craziness. But until then, this is me, Cassandra. And Bubbles. And we're the Horrorcraft Podcast. And we're out. Bye. Stay spooky.